0: Hello and welcome to
1: For Your Listening Pleasure, a podcast focused on talking with interesting and diverse individuals and discussing how their backgrounds shape them into the people they are today. I am your host, Mallory Waxman. As 2022 comes to an end, I want to take a moment to thank everyone who listened to For Your Listening Pleasure this year. Thank you for listening to someone's story, for being open to learning and growing from their experiences, and for all the times you told family and friends about the podcast or shared an episode with your network. When the podcast first launched, I received many texts, DMs, and emails about my first guest, Fred Guttenberg, and how his story had many of you in tears. As a reminder, Fred is an author and American activist and advocate for gun safety. On February 14th, 2018, His 14-year-old daughter, Jamie Guttenberg, was killed in the Stoneman Douglas High School shooting. Sadly, only four months prior, Fred's brother, Michael, passed away in October of 2017 from cancer related to his service on 9-11. During Fred's episode, he talks about having more faith in humanity today than before losing his brother and his daughter. Take a listen.
2: Yeah, you know, listen, and and I'll say, writing my book really helped me to come to this conclusion about having a, a stronger faith in humanity. Because as, a, as I talk about um, towards the end of the book, I originally did not set out to write a book about helpers. That wasn't my intention. My intention was to write a book about my story of being a part of two national tragedies and how the country responded differently to both. Um, And in fact, I wrote that version of the book and I shared it with someone who I trust very deeply, who told me, yeah, he's like, but you know what? A lot of people have already heard that story. You know, we've all heard you talk about it. He goes, I think you should go back and keep writing. And I said, what do you mean? I'm exhausted. I mean, I've written everything. I've told everything there was to tell. He goes. He goes, you know what? Every page of what you have here talks about other people. Every page, and there's so much more there. And so he's like, "Go back and keep writing." So I, I, I'm like, "How do I, like, do this?" And I, and I, the 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 person who kind of. gave me my uh, motivation, I guess, or inspiration to change it into this path, was when I started rewriting uh, very early in the 9-11 stuff, I talk about a lady who went to the triage and and asked all the first responders for their name and their phone number. Um, My family, We couldn't reach my brother that day and he wasn't trying to reach us. And so we all got to a point that day, knowing my brother, we knew he was there. There's there's no question that that's where he was. Um, And when we hadn't heard from him, we started to believe the worst, probably mid-afternoon. And this amazing lady who I've never met, but I've considered her one of the most important people of my adult life, went to the triage and just said to all the first responders, I'm sure you have a loved one. Give me a name and a phone number. And this lady called my parents and said, your loved one is alive. He's working. He will call you when he can. That was the first sign of life we had of my brother that day. And as I'm talking, as I'm rewriting my book and my original version of the book, there was maybe a glancing reference to that lady. I actually started to tell more of how important she was to us that day. And I started to apply that to everyone else in the book. And very quickly, I started to realize there's not a day that I've gotten through that I've done it on my own, that I've not been benefited because of the amazing decency and grace of other people. People on really amazingly wonderful days, you share them with people, right? They help you celebrate. But on these awful moments, it's also people who help you get through it, who carry you. Um, And it didn't matter if it was moments like, planning a funeral, and my best friend who was by my side every minute of those early days, and he sat outside of the room where my wife and I were planning to give us our privacy, but close enough to hear every detail, so I wouldn't have to worry about forgetting anything, okay? Or my friend who went back to the school to identify my daughter, even though it was like a daughter to him. That's how close we were. Um, You know, people are amazing. They will be there for you if you let them. And there's so many of these personal connections, but we talked about, you know, President Biden. He took the time to connect with me and to give me the foundation to go forward. the night I got pulled out of the State of the Union and detained. Nancy Pelosi and Congressman Deutsch, the second the State of the Union ended, they didn't go out and do their normal press calls and press interviews. They got on the phone with the Capitol Police and they ensured that I got released. Um, you know, the the actors and actresses and others who have stepped into my life who have got to know and who have stayed a part of my life because they're just human beings with hearts and brains just like us you know and and i never really looked at my life as being so strengthened by all of these other people until i went back and rewrote this book you know i always I, Up until that point in my life, things were always about what I did, what happened to me, what I did in response. It was never about all the important people who always were there. And we all have those stories. We all have people in our life that are there for us in our moments. Whether or not we realize it is something different. And I think we're better off if we do.
1: This coming Valentine's Day will be five years since the Stoneman Douglas High School shooting happened, and yet we as a country still have not passed any laws to prevent gun violence, nor have we done anything to make it safer for future generations to attend school. If you or someone you know lives in an area that has experienced a mass shooting, like my hometown of Highland Park, Illinois, I recommend you listening to our podcast guest, Jen Mars episode. Jen is the founder and CEO of Inspiring Comfort and the author of Showing Up, a comprehensive guide to comfort and connection. Jen discusses how her firsthand experience with significant trauma at the Boston Marathon bombing, her work in crisis response at Sandy Hook Elementary and her background in business development led her to create Inspiring Comfort.
0: What pulled me to help was constantly asking the question, now what? What happens in a crisis response is there's just so many layers to it. And I know Mallory, your parents live in Highland Park and are dealing with the horrific after effects of that tragic shooting over 4th of July. So this is probably close to home for you and you'll know that in the first um, chapter of it is just this enormous outpouring and media onslaught of what happens. Um, There, I will call it the comfort onslaught. Um, Everybody's just there. Everybody wants to help. Everybody sends things. Everybody wants to know somebody that's helping. Um, And there's just this outpouring of care. Um, And what happens, it becomes overwhelming. Uh, What happens are people that are struggling um, can struggle more because they don't know how to respond to that. They're still in shock. Uh, And in many cases, the people that are trying to help and support are doing something that don't ultimately reach those that are struggling. Um, And and so their intentions may be found more in the way of, this is making me feel really good that actually I'm doing something to help. When in fact, it doesn't help. So in the case of Sandy Hook, there were warehouses full of stuff. 67,000 teddy bears were sent to a town of 20,000 people. Um, And over the course of time, what happens is that's a huge burden on the town. It doesn't help those that are struggling. Those that are struggling are still feeling very alone and unseen because what you've got media trucks everywhere, that doesn't help them. Um, All this stuff doesn't help. So it is only after days and weeks and months and years that you begin to realize the process of recovering from tragedy, crisis, and loss is a long trail of many, many hundreds of actions of care over a long period of time. And so it was in that, the realization of that, day after day, week after week, month after month, like, I can't leave yet, it's not ready. And that was after every month or the next year. And it was finally when those first graders, because the Sandy Hook tragedy really um, was, um, the first grade classrooms were the ones that were most impacted. When those first graders moved on to middle school, that was when I was like, "Okay, I'm I'm ready to move on." Um, and so that's what drove me. Because at the same time, I was going to all these other crisis responses, um, whether it was the drug overdose or suicide or a staff death or a, a community death of some kind. And what happens, I've learned over all of those years, was those crisis responses are very short lived. If you're deploying to help. A school after the loss of a student, um, the crisis response team that's deployed is typically there at most 72 hours. And so it was this dichotomy of, on one hand, I'm there every week, and it's going on years and years and years. And then in these other cases, I'm there 72 hours, and I'm seeing how nobody is having the skills to know how to support each other in the long term.
1: As many of you know, I ask every guest, at the end of each episode, the same three questions. And I'm always inspired and surprised by their answers. But nothing surprised me more than when I asked Mark Meepo if he could relive any one day, which day would he choose? And he wrote an entire poem for his answer. Take a listen.
3: Well, you know, when you asked that, I thought that was an interesting question. And and I, I wrote a, a a small paragraph about that, kind of a prose poem. So let me read it to you. You ask what one day would you relive if you could? Well, honestly, none. Oh, as soon as you ask, dozens of days broke surface in my heart like old fish leaping at dusk. I immediately saw my grandmother sitting on her stoop in Brooklyn when I was a boy. And then the day I met my wife, Susan. And of course, the day the tumor vanished from my skull and the moment of vision in which I discovered each of my books, and that day in the hospital when my father reached for me across eternity. But I would relive none of them for they live in me. The essence of each ties me to life itself. So I have to say that I would relive today, not this day, but the unfinished moment that keeps moving through events like a breeze through a curtain. At the center of each day is an unseeable pulse of life that living reveals the way a pearl is pried from an oyster. It is feeling that unseeable pulse of life that I want to relive more than the moments or days that carry them.
1: One episode this year that really opened my mind was my conversation with Dr. Bruce Perry. Dr. Perry is one of the world's leading experts on childhood trauma. His clinical research and practice focuses on examining the long-term effects of trauma in children, adolescents, and adults. He has written several best-selling books, including his most recent book he co-authored with Oprah, What Happened to You? Conversations on Trauma, Resilience, and Healing which looks at and explains how childhood trauma impacts our adult lives, health, and behavior. Take a listen about why asking the question, what happened to you, is so essential in our society. I think
4: the all of us who are kind of developmentalists or really anybody trained in uh, traditional mental health practices learns about the importance of your family and your upbringing and your culture and the, the things that kind of, like I said, lead to the present functioning. But despite knowing that our, our formulations about diagnosis and labeling individuals all was about what's wrong with you right now. And it was all but it's all looking at pathology, you know, uh, what's wrong with your attention systems? What's wrong with your fine motor systems? What's f- wrong with your ability to form relationships? And and then through quantifying that, putting somebody in a box, giving them a label. And once you learn a little bit about developmental trauma and the, and the incredible impact it can have on the developing brain and functioning, you begin to realize that uh, the right question is Let's back up and look at how somebody got to this point. And so the the beauty of the reframing in that one sentence is that it was it it, it very quickly helped people connect with that set of ideas. And I I think you know human people like uh, I don't want to say jingoistic, but simple things that capture truth are very powerful. And I think that that's kind of why that phrase rings true with a lot of people.
1: Not only has Dr. Perry worked with Oprah, but he also co-wrote two other books, The Boy Who Was Raised as a Dog and Born for Love, Why Empathy is Essential and Endangered with another podcast guest, Maya Salvitz. During Maya's episode, she discusses her own story of recovery from heroin and cocaine addiction, which is highlighted in her memoir, Unbroken Brain. However, in her most recent book, Undoing Drugs, The Untold Story of Harm Reduction and the Future of Addiction, Maya explores how reframing addiction as a developmental disorder could revolutionize prevention, treatment, and policy.
5: Yeah, I think what a lot of people don't understand, like it goes back to what you were talking about earlier about trauma and mental illness and despair, um, because overwhelmingly people with addiction are not like happily going along their lives and then they meet this drug and then they're like the hell with everything else I'm going to be horribly selfish and and do this and I don't care about anything because all only thing that matters is my pleasure and that's kind of how it's perceived and there was a sort of whole um propaganda machine aimed at creating that picture a very racist one I might add because it focused on black people in particular but people of color more generally um and it created this you know it's all in this apparatus of the war on drugs and this whole idea that like some substances are drugs and are bad and you should never do them because they're evil, because they're illegal, whereas other substances, which are equally or more harmful, are legal and they're just fine and we can celebrate having them. And when you look at how that happened, it's not science. Again, it's like racism and anti-immigrant stuff. So once you kind of understand where our laws come from and where our perception of who people with addiction are comes from, then you're like, wait a minute, you know, this is messed up. Um, And, you know, when you start to understand that addiction is more often about self-medicating pain than it is about, you know, I'm just happy being selfish and and kicking other people around. You know, yeah, there are jerks among all classes of people, and there are some people with addiction who are like that, and there are also some people who don't have addiction that are like that. Um, and you know, just sort of stereotyping us as being you know horrible bad people, um, really does an enormous amount of harm. And what it leads to is this ever increasing cycle of punishment, where it's like, okay, these are bad people, we must punish them, and we're going to fix them by making their lives worse but we don't understand that addiction itself is defined by compulsive behavior in the face of negative consequences so by definition punishment is not what's going to fix it so we just pile on these people um and then we're surprised and like you know try to be even worse to them when they don't get better and it's like why don't you ask us what's going on you know and i often you know it's so important to just listen to stories Um, and also to recognize like how sometimes our own stories get distorted by the lens that we are sort of forced to put them through sometimes, um, because there is this sort of great culture of sin and redemption in the United States. And so, you know, sometimes people with addiction will be the worst folks about self-stereotyping. Oh, I'm a liar. I'm manipulative. I steal, blah, 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 blah. Yes. Some people with addiction do that. Some people without addiction do that too, (laughs) um, You know, um, addiction will certainly, like many other stresses, um, uh, push you in less moral directions generally, Um, but that doesn't mean that it's inherently immoral to have an addiction or that If you have one, that means you're a bad person.
1: Addiction is a topic that has been discussed several times on For Your Listening Pleasure. And I am so thankful to Holly Whitaker, Steve Warner, Linda Coletta, and Andy Robledo for being so open and vulnerable when discussing their addiction and their journeys. One of my goals for the podcast is to eliminate the stigma around addiction. One aspect of the podcast I absolutely love is speaking to authors who either share their stories in their debut memoirs like Kevin Bethune, Jameson Green, or Rob Volpe, or those authors that take us on a deep dive into the area of expertise, such as Stephen Post, Alita Miranda-Wolf, Barry Correll, Elena Clayton, Matt Friedman. Peter Friche, and Claire Willis. All books and authors featured on the podcast can be found in the For Your Listening Pleasure Amazon store. The link will be in this episode's show notes. A wise woman once told me, surround yourself with women that would say your name in a room full of opportunities. And I can say that Wendy Berger, Danielle Peterson, Alison Byrne, Delia Folk, Judy Turkin, Mita Malik, Chloe Flower, Sally Mueller, Madeline DeNino and Erin Gallagher are those women. They have paved their way and have overcome challenges both professionally and personally that women deal with. Whether it was losing their partner, leaving a job to start their own business, the experience of raising funds in the male-driven VC world, or breaking down barriers, these women's stories inspire me. Let me say that again. These women's stories inspire me. And if you haven't had a chance yet, I highly recommend you take the time to listen to their episodes. For so many, I think a lot of us want to get our health in check or to lead healthier lives. So if one of your goals is to cook more at home or get comfortable in the kitchen, I would suggest listening to Elena Bezer's episode. She's a Chicago Bread chef and TV host featured on the Food Network channel as well as on the Today Show. If you're thinking about wanting to start a new fitness routine, or maybe you got a Peloton this year, why don't you take a listen to Kate Lemire's episode, who is one of the head instructors at Barry's, or Christina Ercole or Sam Yo's episodes, who are rock star instructors at Peloton? Either way, take this time and treat yourself with some grace. Don't feel like you need to figure everything out or write every single goal down or have an idea of how you're going to conquer 2023. Listen to your body, listen to what you need, and start to lean into that possibility of what if. Lastly, a huge thank you again to international street artist Wordsmith for partnering with me and the podcast to create a sweatshirt where 100% of the proceeds benefit Paw Chicago and Pets for Vets. If you missed out or you're interested in ordering one, you can find the link in this episode's show notes. I'm also so grateful for all the artists we've had on the podcast that have shared their unique stories and craft with listeners. Everyone from Cesar Idribo, who's a talented shoe and pattern maker, to Mil Coronado, who shared how art helped him learn forgiveness, and deal with the unexpected murder of his father at a young age, to Tony Carmen, who's the president and director of Expo Chicago, which will be celebrating its 10th year in April of 2023. And of course, we cannot forget the musical artists, such as the recent voice contestant Madison Hughes or Hamilton's musical director, Ian Weinberger, for sharing their passion for the arts and their journey with listeners. I could keep going on and on about each of my incredible guests and how each of their stories has inspired me, taught me something, or made me more empathetic and understanding. I hope you all have enjoyed these last 50 episodes, and I cannot wait to share with you some of the incredible guests I have lined up for 2023. Each of their stories is unbelievable and moving, and I'm so excited to share them with this community. My goals for the podcast in 2023 are to raise more awareness about causes that need attention and continue to grow the podcast by increasing listenership and obtaining some, and obtaining more amazing guests. That is where you, the listeners, come in. If you have enjoyed an episode or are a big fan of the podcast, please like, rate, and review on Apple Podcasts, like our social media posts share episodes via social media with your friends and network and make sure you follow the podcast at for your listening pleasure on instagram and at fylp podcast on tiktok feel free to dm or email me at fylp podcast at gmail.com with any ideas topics or guest suggestions and again thank you for all your support and cheers to a beautiful 2023